from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Before those legislative changes, I mean, it was a big deal. Student-athletes were restricted from earning any compensation based on their status as a student-athlete. NIL is for everyone. You know, there was this belief that it would only benefit football and men's basketball, but that's shown itself to be a, a misconception. You really want to be deliberate about what brands you partner with because making a thousand dollars at 20 might seem great and you may look back at 30 and say oh gee i really wish i hadn't affiliated myself with with that brand i'm sarah fenske this summer has seen seismic changes in the rules governing college athletes. Last month, a Supreme Court ruling rocked the NCAA. The justices held that the organization's limits on education-related benefits for athletes violates antitrust law. And now states are coming after the NCAA as well. Earlier this year, Missouri became the 27th state to pass legislation allowing student-athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Now new interim rules from the NCAA extend those rights across the U.S. Drake Heismeyer is one Missouri College student already getting in on the action. The St. Charles native is an offensive lineman going into his second year at Mizzou, and he's already earning money with two different ventures. As he told me yesterday, the first is a social media brand. He posts at hashtag 69 eats local. So I kind of started this hashtag because uh, my main thing when I'm doing with this whole process is like I go to like I eat at local restaurants. So I'm kind of like doing a lot of promotions with local restaurants. And I kind of felt like if I'm going to do something like this, I'm going to need a hashtag because, number one, it's kind of funny. <laughs> number two, it kind of makes it feel more professional. And so you use this um, on posts after you've dined out. Are the restaurants paying you for those posts? Uh, yeah, any form of you know, compensation. Like I'll take, I, I'll take a free meal, gift cards, a shirt, a hat, you know, and obviously you know, cash or something like that. And in exchange, you're promoting it through your social media. Yes. You also have a partnership with 573Ts. What are they doing with your name and, and with your actual likeness? Yeah, so um, they contacted me, and then we worked together, and I got a logo going, and we designed a couple T-shirts and just you know started selling them, put them out there, and I've, I've, I've made a good amount of money. I've been close to $200 off T-shirts so far. That's great, and, and people are just liking to wear your face and, <laughs> and wear your name. Yeah, so like... Well, the best part is really my best decision ever was picking the number 69 because that kind of sells from any guy age 16 to 40. Yeah, I can see how that number could open some doors for you. Yeah, especially in college. Like college dudes love that number. So it works really well. So you've got these two different ventures. Would either of those things have been possible under the NCAA's old rules? Um, no, not at all. Like, before the old, like before in the old rules, I couldn't accept any compensation for anything, like, at all whatsoever. And I can never. And there was there were so many hoops you could go through to be very careful with what you said online and stuff like that. And was that frustrating? Uh, I it was for me because my, my this is my, my second year here, and there were so many people that wanted to do stuff with me, but I was like, you know, I can't I can't do this stuff. Even like, even like or one time before this whole nil stuff, my mom was like made making custom jerseys. And like she put it on Instagram for anybody that wanted to buy one. 
And like they didn't, didn't even let me do that. I wasn't, I wasn't even making money off of it. They were just didn't let that fly. And even your mom couldn't do that. It, it wasn't yeah, just no. you. It was anybody who wanted to, to work on anything related to your career. Yeah, they couldn't do any of that. So uh, Mizzou's football coach, Eli Drinkwitz, he lobbied for these changes in the state capitol. Is this something that a lot of players were feeling that frustration with? Yeah, I think the whole thing with Coach Drinkta is a lot of guys were frustrated, especially guys that, you know, like quarterback, like big star players that mm-hmm. are very well-known uh, were very frustrated all around the country because, you know, a lot of people are capitalizing off their name and making a lot of money off them. And it's kind of not really fair if you're using their name and not making any money off them. So, I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, quarterbacks could be making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars just off their name. Yeah, I mean, for you, this is just kind of a fun side project. But for some people, they were losing out on big money. Yeah. So, like, that's the whole reason. I kind of just gave it a shot because, um, you know, I'm not some big star or anything. I've only been here two years. But I got a little bit of a following in St. Louis because, you know, this is my state. This is Missouri. But, like, I can imagine, like, you know, your star players are actually losing out on a, a decent amount of money that would be nice for them to have. Now, that is Mizzou lineman Drake Heismeyer. He told me that he hopes in time that these side projects could become significant income streams. Oh, yeah, I think it could be all right. You know, um, you know, once I start playing and get my name out there and not just my, you know, I get more fans buying more than just, you know, family and friends that are buying them right now. I think I can. It, it'll be a decent little money on the side. Drake is a mechanical engineering major. He's not counting on a lifelong career in football, but he's open to where these ventures could take him. I think it's a really, really great opportunity because you know how hard it is to get into it, you know, to go professional. Very little college athletes do it. And this is a really good way for them to earn, you know, earn a decent chunk of change so that, yeah, when they're, because, you know, college ends for everybody, sports end for everybody at some time, some earlier than others. But if some kids can actually make some money throughout their college days and, you know, graduate college with a couple grand in their pockets that really set them up for life, I think it's a really great opportunity. Drake Heismeyer also told me that Mizzou has provided significant training to players on these new rules. Oh, yeah. Mizzou has really uh, taught us well on what we do, what we can't and can do. So, like, I'm right, right before this all happened, we, they all sat us down. We had a meeting with our compliance and everything. And, like, you, you can do this, you can do that. We had a whole slideshow. Uh, I mean, I've got all those compliance guys on my, you know, my phone because I have questions I can ask them. We have a certain app we have to have, you know, disclosures I have to go through and stuff like that. Drake also mentioned that with the NCAA lobbying Congress for a new national law to supersede the various state policies, things could change. It's, it's crazy. I mean, there's so much gray area. It's kind of like the wild, wild west out there. We don't really know how it's going to, rules can change, rules can go away. I'm kind of excited about what's going on. That is Drake Heismeyer. And joining us now to explain how another area university is navigating this brave new world is Cameron Cox. He's the influence coordinator at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Cameron, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Really appreciate it. So, Cameron, uh, Drake Heismeyer described the new reality for college athletes as a good thing, but he also called it the wild, wild west. Does it feel like you're kind of in uncharted territory right now? Uh, A little bit. I I will say, just to put a little bit more color on the points that Drake made, that before those legislative changes, I mean, it was a big deal. Student-athletes were restricted from earning any compensation based on their status as a student-athlete. And that essentially blocks student-athletes from the ability to monetize their right to publicity, which we all have. And I think that's an interesting point, is that other students on campus 
who are not involved with athletics actually can earn money from capitalizing on that right. Um, and over the last few years, the sports world's kind of seen a shift, which is what we're talking about here, toward an increase in student-athlete autonomy and the promotion of student-athlete rights. Yeah. So it is a little bit of a different world. It feels like with just anybody being able to become, say, an Instagram influencer, it feels kind of weird that student-athletes were stuck in this silo where that was completely closed to them. A little bit, a little bit. And I think there was a sense that it was time to go ahead and, and make that change. Um, and we're excited about it here at Illinois. It is uncharted territory, but I'll say that we aren't afraid of the kind of new and exciting changes in the NIL space. And we uh, are going to have a foundation that is based in compliance, but we're prepared to go on offense on this and, and, and see what can be made for our student-athletes. I'm curious if you see opportunity here, maybe even on an educational front for these students, that they're going to be learning a whole lot about how to brand themselves and maybe how to make money. Oh, absolutely. I think the foundation of it is education. And the core of our education around NIL starts with our influence program. And we see influence as a kind of comprehensive development program designed to prepare student-athletes to positively influence their brands and platforms in this new NIL world. Um, And when it comes to student-athletes, we look at that as having a three-pronged approach. The first has to do with brand strategy. So that's how do you actually create a brand? What is it to brand yourself? How do you think about yourself and hold that out? The second one has to do with business innovation and entrepreneurship. So now that you've created a brand, how do you monetize that? How do you actually create something that um, can have a corporate form and and be held out. And then finally, it's about financial literacy, right? So you create the brand, you've monetized it. Okay, now how do we make sure it's something that they can stick around and can be an asset for you going forward? I think it's all about education for student-athletes. But another point, which, um, which I don't think Drake got a chance to touch on, is educating businesses who are interested in engaging with student athletes, hmm. right? Because that's the point Drake made was he said that, well, there are businesses who wanted to partner with him in, in the past. And so we also have to have the other side of this where we go out and we say, here's what's different and here's what you can do. Here are some examples of things that you can think about. And that's also been rewarding to be able to connect with the community in that way. So there's a whole lot of education that is going on. It sounds like very quickly as these new rules take effect. I mean, how much handholding are you doing for these athletes? And and as you say, also for these businesses that want to work with them. So I would say we are doing a decent bit of handholding as it is. The way that the law is set up, we actually aren't able to facilitate the transactions. So we can't play matchmaker. Um, And right now, for me, it's a little difficult because I'm looking at this stuff 24-7. I'm seeing everything that's going on across the country. And so I have all these ideas, but I have to only provide education where people have expressed an interest. And I can't say, hey, you should partner with this person. Or I can't go to a student-athlete and say, hey, you know, I think that this local business, which to Drake's point, local businesses are often very interested in this. I can't say, I think that you would be great to, to reach out to this local business. And so... It, is, uh, it does require a good bit of hand-holding, but we're navigating it well, I think, so far. Why does the NCAA say you can't do that? Are, are they trying to make sure there's not some exploitation going on, or, or what are they worried about there? I think there is always a kind of fear around the institutions getting a little bit too involved in terms of just directly paying the players. I think the spirit of amateurism is something that we really work hard to preserve and the 
absence of an institution or organization, whatever, directly paying players for play, that's something that is, is at the core of the amateur model and that we want to avoid. And so I think there's a sense that if you can avoid that facilitation, if you can avoid that playing matchmaker, then you help preserve a little bit more of that model that we know and love. Hmm, that, that does make sense. I'm thinking about your job here. You said you're kind of immersed in this 24-7. You serve something like 500 student-athletes. That's across 19 sports. Are there vastly right. different opportunities for, say, a star quarterback versus a cross-country runner? And I, I don't mean to insult cross-country runners. It's a great sport, but it's a lot less high-profile. Well, it depends on who you ask. I will say that it depends on who is the quarterback and who is the cross-country runner, frankly. Mm. We see it as the key to monetizing your name, image, and likeness is by building a strong brand. There's a suspicion across the country that, I'll say, a gymnast down south is going to make more money from name, image, and likeness than literally anyone, any quarterback, any point guard. Um, And so I don't think that there is a limitation. I think in this initial first month of name, image, and likeness, we've seen businesses who already knew, okay, I want to go after this person and I want to go after that person. And we have seen a little bit more activity in some of the higher-profile sports. But at the same time, I'll tell you, honestly, some of the less visible sports have greatly outperformed their visibility thus far, and that's been across the country. I think it really has to do with who has a competitive advantage when it comes to creating a brand and then is that something that a business can actually market? I mean, there are a set of twins out in California who've done an exceptional job um, who play women's basketball. And then I mentioned the gymnast down south. But there are a number of others who, who also have really been able to capitalize on this space who aren't a part of the kind of men's basketball and football dominant narrative that, that people thought was going to just totally capture the NIL market. That seems really refreshing, frankly. Yes, absolutely. I think that is really something we believe here, um, not only just something that, that we're pushing, but really something that I believe personally that NIL is for everyone. You know, there was this belief that it would only benefit football and men's basketball, but that's shown itself to be a, a misconception. I've seen volleyball players doing incredible things just a couple of states over. I've seen softball players coming up with some of the most interesting and lucrative deals. And I think that the narrative should be shifted a little bit, and, and it should be seen as, as an opportunity for all and not just a select few. So you've highlighted um, some, some student-athletes who are really going for this. Is there also the flip side of that, where there's some that are just kind of intimidated by all this and intimidated by there are still regulations on this, things need to be disclosed, it's complicated? Well, it's a new world, and I think that anytime there's big change like this, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, right? I think that that's part of what we're all working through, and that falls on me. I don't want student-athletes at Illinois to be intimidated or or nervous or worried at all, and that's why the educational programming is so important. I make a lot of effort to reach out to our student-athletes, put a face with a name, and say, hey, you can call on me, and I think it's really important for administrators across the country to do that so that you can build that trust with student-athletes and when they have questions, they can come to you. I'll tell you, yesterday, for instance, I went to go see our women's gymnastics team just because I, I thought they had a, a competitive advantage here. And, I, you know, I really do think that, just like we were talking about. And I went to them while they were at Open Gym. I went on the mat and, and sat there with them. And I think that that's um, a really powerful thing to do, to be able to really go interact with people where they are and when we should really prioritize that as an industry.
Hmm. Are you hearing misconceptions from students as you're, you're kind of doing this listening and, and reaching out to them? I'm hearing a few misconceptions. Um, one of the big ones I'd like to correct is there seems to be this notion among students and parents, prospective students and, and, and other groups that there's some cap on name, image, and likeness compensation such that if you make above this, you will lose your scholarship. Hmm. That is not true. There, that I want to make that very clear that that is not true. You will not you know, make enough money that you will lose your scholarship. Now, what can happen is that need-based financial aid can be jeopardized if NIL compensation eclipses a threshold that would make you eligible for that aid. Because your that need is, is, is no question. longer as great once you have all this income coming Correct. in. That makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that decision is going to be different for every student athlete and every family. Um, and, and so I wouldn't even attempt to opine on that here. But when it comes to your athletic grant and, and what you kind of earn through your hard work and all those years that you put in all the way up to, to get that big-time scholarship, that is not going to be in jeopardy. And I, I want to make that very clear. I appreciate you correcting that. Something I find myself thinking about, we've talked a little bit about how even athletes in lower profile sports are, are doing a great job of getting in on this. What's your sense of athletes in Division Two and Division Three schools? Is there also opportunity for them in all this? I believe that there's tremendous opportunity at the D2 and the D3 level. I think it looks a little bit different, but I think that they have great opportunities specifically around the ability to host camps or lessons, even though D2 or D3 may not have that presence on the national stage, when it comes to the local community, they know who those schools are, right? And when it comes to, hey, if I'm a soccer player in high school, I'd like to get a little more introduction to what I need to do, and I'd like to get a little bit more direction on how to handle the ball, you're going to look to those D2 or D3 schools that are down the street, maybe before you look to the D1 Power 5 school that's across the state. And so I think there's going to be tremendous value in the ability to instruct. I also think that they're going to have a tremendous value in the collective. I think there's so much um, placed on student-athlete autonomy here, and that gets me very excited. But sometimes that can lead to a mentality of it's all about the individual, but it can be about the group, right? So there's nothing that's prohibiting the entire volleyball team from taking on an initiative. Or there's nothing that's going to prohibit the entire swim team from teaching a a set of lessons over the course of a weekend. And I think that D2 and D3 students can see some serious opportunity taking that out. Well, I see so much upside in the way you're describing this. I guess in our final question here, I have to ask, do you have any concerns about how all this could play out? Could there be a downside looming? My biggest concern is always going to be around the student-athletes. I'll say that there are a lot of stakeholders in this role, and when I appreciate it, I realize that I serve student-athletes, I serve coaches, I serve institutions, I serve the communities that we operate in. Um, But the first one is student-athletes, and so my concern, my paramount concern, is around student-athletes creating brands that aren't necessarily as healthy as we would like for them to be. You know, we've all been to college and can appreciate the value of making $500. I mean, I'll say I had an extra $1,000 one semester in college, and I I swore that I was the richest man on the planet. (laughs) Um, But you really want to be deliberate about what brands you partner with because making $1,000 at 20 might seem great, and you may look back at 30 and say, oh, gee, I really wish I hadn't affiliated myself 
with with that brand. So I think that's why it's all about education for us and making sure that the brands are, are healthy and that the brands are something that not only can you get excited about now, but your grandmother can be excited about it in 10 years. Well, that's some good advice right there. Cameron Cox, uh, Influence Program Coordinator at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again. I appreciate it. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.